0: All right, we're going to go ahead and begin our time this morning. So let me pray, and then we can get started. Our Father, thank you that you have shown your grace to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ in your Son, whom you sent into the world to pay for all of our sins so that we could be drawn near to you. We thank you that you've given us redemption through his blood, that we have the forgiveness of sins, and that we no longer have the guilt that comes from knowing that we stand before you unrighteous. And we thank you that we can come together on the basis of that shared faith in Christ that we have so that we can join once again in fellowship and encouragement. We thank you for the gathered body that we have this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to come before your word and to learn. We pray that you would help us to use this time to uh, help navigate matters of our conscience and to understand those clearly and to make wise and godly decisions uh, in our worship of you and in our service and our love for other people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, uh, as we begin, you should have a handout from the back. Uh, This is class number five is what is on the top of that handout. Uh, It should say class five, Conscience Case Studies. Uh, Last time we looked at matters of conscience, decision making, and the conscience in some detail in Romans 14 and in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, uh, really 8 through uh, 11, verse 1, when Paul says to imitate him as he imitates Christ, to be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ, and where uh, we left it was. ...that we were going to come back and give some uh, examples of decisions that we might have to make. Uh, there are really two uh, sort of subcategories, although there is quite a bit of overlap in these two categories. But there are two main categories of those case studies that uh, that I want to look at. Next week, what I want to look at uh, are the decisions that have to do more with matters of judgment and wisdom. Uh, matters that are more just about making judgment calls... Uh, And that are not so much built around what we might uh, call conscience matters. Uh, And so we're going to look at that next time. But for this morning and just coming off the heels of 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. And some of the ways that our conscience gets tied up or caught up or hung up in these decisions that we make. uh, I wanted to do some case studies that have to do specifically with the conscience itself. And I want to give you a few categories here in a moment of types of ways that our conscience and decision-making might come together, a few categories of these cases. Uh, but just to get started, I want to read a list of places where, uh, where our conscience might get tied up or where it might be involved in various things. And uh, what I've done is compiled a list of things. Many of these come, uh, well, in fact, the first um, half of this list or so comes from a book that we went through in our small groups a couple years ago. You may remember, it's called Conscience. Uh, just called Conscience by, uh, by J.D. Crowley and Andy Niscelli. Um Also, the book that I mentioned earlier in uh, this study a few weeks ago called Decision-Making and the Will of God by Gary Friesen has some of those and then just some others that I thought of along the way. So I'm just going to read this list. Um, some of these possible examples are watching mixed martial arts, um, listening to secular music, dressing modestly, Capitalism versus socialism, fair trade, coffee, global warming, uh, watching particular movies or TV shows, playing video games, reading Harry Potter, ladies wearing makeup, uh, following the schedule in growing kids God's way, homeopathic medicine versus antibiotics, uh, public school versus private school versus private Christian school versus homeschool. Eating fast food that is unhealthy, church with multiple services and multiple sites, Christian hip hop, body piercings, smoking cigars, drinking alcohol in moderation, going into debt, dating versus courtship, Uh, when married couples should start trying to have children, and how many children married couples should have, practicing daily family devotions, being overweight. Um, theater for live drama, men wearing beards, what kind of swimsuits, mixed swimming, skirts of a certain length, playing pool, billiards, nursing versus bottle feeding versus some mixture, Uh, organic foods, free-range foods, long hair for men, vaping, smoking cigarettes, using certain particular instruments in church in particular those that have electricity connected with them, and uh, saving for retirement or not. Any of these sound familiar? Run into any kind of uh, disputes or confusion or disagreement about these where people are hung up one way or another about what they or someone else should do? I think probably you've run into a few of those. Um, I think that we can safely categorize these into a number of different things. And hopefully this is helpful just to think through them in in terms of the types of uh, conscience matters that these are. And so on the outline that you have there, we'll just go through, uh, there are seven categories that I've tried to break them down into. This may not be perfectly exact science, but hopefully it gets you thinking in the right categories for this, in the right right kind of way. Um, The first of these categories is where This is a conscience matter because of too many past rules. Too many past rules. So if you were always taught and believed that certain things were wrong, but those things were not biblically forbidden, then you might have some conscience hang-ups about rules that you should follow. And uh, you have a hard time shaking that. You have a hard time being okay with doing something that the Bible doesn't forbid, but you know, you were told your whole life growing up that this is wrong. And in fact, you may have been telling other people that it was wrong. And you still might to this day be tempted to look upon other people with contempt because they do that and you're not quite ready for that. Um, What would be some examples of common things like that, that people have where they've been in a very rule following or a legalistic culture, maybe one that's especially connected with, uh, with Christianity in particular. What are some of the things that might possibly fall under that category? Yeah. Drinking? Okay. Drinking. So drinking alcohol at all in any way. Yeah. Okay. Great. What else? Dance. Dancing. Okay. Dancing. What other things might we find? And I realize we're treading on dangerous ground because you may even hear some of these things and say, wait a minute, that is wrong. And if you think that's the case, if, if there's something that comes up and I don't actually say, no, actually there is a biblical prohibition on this thing completely, uh, then certainly feel free to bring that to me and I'll try to make the biblical case for why it, uh, it's actually permitted, at least in some ways. Okay, what other examples? I might not see your hand if you raise it, so you might have to shout it out. Oh, where? Who? What? Where? I said public oh, public school. Yes. Okay, public school. Absolutely. Yeah. What else? Tattoos and body piercings. And body piercings. That's right. Tattoos and body piercings. Yep. Ladies wearing, pants. Ladies wearing pants. Yeah. So you guys were listening to the list, weren't you? No. That, that uh, you probably would have said that anyway. Yes. A few of those kinds of things. What about uh, playing cards? Playing cards. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, often associated with, you know, gambling and which is often driven by greed and um, all kinds of other uh, possibly bad and wrong and sinful attitudes. And therefore, you know, you don't want to get close to this stuff. Yeah, there is a there is a similarity here. So just the biblical um, passage that probably helps us the most on this is Romans 14. And we looked at that again in some detail previously. I'm not going to go over it extensively this morning, um, but there is in that case there are people who are only willing to there, there are certain things they're not willing to do. They're not willing to eat certain kinds of meat. Uh, they're not willing to um, give up the practice of observing certain days. So Romans 14:2, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. The one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. For God has accepted him. Verse 5, one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Uh, Now, the difference in this case that's obvious is that there were Jews coming out of Judaism and being under the old covenant law that had these convictions because their convictions were actually biblical commands for them as part of their pre-Christian life. So before Christ and um, his fulfillment of the law and his uh, inauguration of the new covenant and so on, there was this requirement that they had to abstain from these things. So when they became Christians, you know, they're not bringing into this their own rules and their own uh, sets of instructions for what to do. They're actually bringing in biblical instructions, which made it a little bit more difficult. That was what was so compelling on the other side of things when the Galatians were buying all of these Old Testament laws even though they were Gentiles. It's because, hey, these are from the Bible. Shouldn't we keep these commands? So it is a little bit different in that sense. But the principle is still the same that you have something that you thought was wrong to do and your conscience is bound to do that uh, in its current state or bound to not do that. And you're going to be tempted to look down on other people who will do the things that you're not free to do. And if you do those things, then you're going to be violating your conscience and you're going to be sinning. So Paul doesn't say in this case that you have to get rid of those hangups necessarily, but he does, as we saw last time in 1 Corinthians 9, there he does commend being free in your conscience in line with what is biblical. He, he commends the value of being able to do as among when among the Jews to do as the Jews do and when among Gentiles to do as the Gentiles do. And he recognizes and commends how uh, the value of being able to do that freely. But here in Romans 14, if you read through it, you'll notice that he doesn't try to persuade them to change out of that conscience, that weaker conscience at that particular moment. Um, so this is an example then, too many past rules this is one of the categories that you might find where there is there are differences in conscience and you just need to recognize that this is where this comes from now the second one is a wrong way of dealing with the fact that you had too many past rules and that's what i'll call the pendulum swing the pendulum swing Um, this is where you have one particular methodology or one particular set of rules before you were a christian And you see how that, or maybe even when you were a Christian, but you see the flaws in it. And what you do is you swing all the way to the other side and you say, there are so many things connected with doing things this way, the way that I did it in my misunderstood uh, part of my Christian life or of my former life before Christ, that I'm going to do the opposite. The opposite must be the way to go. Uh, And an example of this would be the idea of dating versus courtship. Dating versus courtship. Um, why would someone see certain problems with uh, what we call dating just in general what What are some of the things that people don't like about that from a Christian or biblical perspective? Not explicitly found in the Bible. yeah, yeah that's it is not the biblical method. yeah, what else? Yeah yeah in our culture the yeah, the goal is not marriage a lot of times or most of the time, is it? yeah, yeah, even going on from that, a lot of times it's connected with immorality, just outright immorality, and the way that it's done uh, promotes that it is intended to be that way, basically, yeah, I thought I saw a hand somewhere. Okay. Okay. So it can cause feelings that are not supposed to be there. Yeah, until a certain time. Okay. Or uh, yeah, and connections and certain certain ways of like binding people together when maybe this is not the time to do that. Okay. What else? yeah yeah. Yeah, it can be very self-interested, and then the, the outcome of that at the end of it is, um, you know, you might have a group of friends that go to school together or go to church together, and what happens like by the end of the time they graduate high school, you know, everybody has been in a relationship with everybody else, and then they all just don't like each other because they've not handled that well. Yeah, it, it can cause problems like that, right? Um, so these are some of the things and people are like, no, this is not it. Um, so what do we do instead? Well, we, uh, we're going to do, okay, we, we look around and we say, well, here's another option. Um, this is another method that we have. And this method has some things in it that align with a lot of the stuff that is biblical. Which, uh, like, let's look at courtship. Um, what is the, you know, what commends that? Well, it's aimed at marriage. And that really, ultimately, should in fact be the goal of these romantic pursuits. Uh, you're not just in this to kind of have one boyfriend or girlfriend after another. The Bible commends marriage; it talks about that. So, you know, if this is the goal of that, then this system may be really good for that. Um, it involves parents, and in particularly, or in particular, uh, a father in in doing this, and it helps to uh, impart wisdom. In the process, you know, so you can start to see, okay, this is, this is kind of helping with some of, the, uh, some of the weaknesses of this other method. So let's do this particular method. Um, what's the problem with all of this? Well, you start to view the method as the sin instead of the actual sinful problems committed like during the method itself. And you start to see the opposite, or the new method as the solution, because it tries to in, uh, in tries to incorporate some of the principles that actually are biblical. But the problem then becomes: this is the only way to do this. This is the way to do this. Um, again, some of the problems with uh, dating would be the casual nature of the relationship. Um, And uh, the possible immorality. Um, Are there no problems with other methodologies as well? What are some of the potential problems with, say, courtship when it comes to biblical issues? Can we come up with any? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so it can, almost, it, it can almost hold too much weight. It can be like you're married when you're not. Yeah, yeah, it can certainly cause, it, that can be a, one way that it goes wrong. Yeah, what about biblically? Do we find it in the Bible? Okay, okay, not commended specifically in the Bible. Uh, there are uh, quite a few ways of pursuing marriage in the Bible. Um, None of them I know are prescriptive other than just the actual, you know, getting married. I I don't know how many of you would be okay with what, you know, with uh, what Ruth did in pursuing marriage. You know, all right, here's this guy. You barely know. You work for him and you're going to go lay down at his feet where he's sleeping in the middle of the night. And then when he wakes up, you're going to basically be implicitly proposing marriage to him. This is all backwards. Is this the man pursuing the woman? You know, that's the way a lot of this goes when it comes to courtship and things like that. Um, going to his room at night in his home, you know, this just doesn't seem, this doesn't even seem above board. That's just one example. And yet, she's, the, she's commended in Scripture as this very, very godly young lady. And she was instructed to do this by someone who was commended for her godliness, her mother-in-law, Naomi. It's just one example there. And then, of course, you know, you have, you have others. Um, you know, the, the um, year-long betrothment period of the New Testament era of, you know, Mary and Joseph, for example. Is, is this the best way to do that? Is that actually what's commanded in the Bible? Do you, know, do you want to do it that way? Uh, there are many ways that marriage is pursued in the Bible. And yet, none of them are uh, necessarily commended or prescribed Uh, There are, of course, ways that uh, people pursue relationships that are are, uh, forbidden and that are not commended, that are the opposite of that, that are rebuked, but there is no particular method. The problem becomes you come out of something, you say, this is the wrong way, but now I have found the right way. That's the big point I'm trying to make when it comes to these types of conscience, this category, which is now we have to do it this way, Because the other way that everybody commonly does that's really connected with and usually leads to sin, um, that's the wrong way. So we've got to do this other one. And then it becomes if someone else is not courting or following this particular path, then they are actually in sin. Or if I'm not doing this, then I'm in sin. And uh, instead of doing that, what I would commend to you is to try to take all of the biblical data into consideration, try to, take the, uh, try to understand the dangers of the various methodologies and the, the, uh, the positive qualities of each type of method or approach, and, and in wisdom, you know, cobble together your own best practices for helping your children or for you as someone who is pursuing marriage uh, to actually go toward that. So don't get hung up uh, in this and thinking that this is the only way. Now, again, you may come to the point where you say, right now, like there may be some of you saying, I can't do any other way beyond this. Okay, that's fine. Uh, As long as you don't hold that over the heads of other people and say, this is the way. This is what you must do. And just keep in mind what I've tried to point out before, which is that sometimes getting stuck on something as a matter of conscience and conviction that is, above the Bible or extra biblical can get in the way of making wise decisions that go outside of that conviction. So you've got to follow your conscience and make sure that you don't violate it where it doesn't come into conflict with scripture. But sometimes that conscience conviction is going to force you to do things or prevent you from doing things that that actually are not the wisest course of action. So the freer that you are from that, the more you're going to have the option to do something wise when the opportunity arises that fits the particular need and not be hemmed in by, not be locked into these required courses of action because your conscience is too strong in one area or too, you have too much of a conviction in one area and your faith, as Romans 14 says, is a little weaker. You're not as free to do what God permits you to do. So pendulum swing is, uh, is the second category. Questions on either of these so far? Any questions? Too many past rules, pendulum swing away from certain things. hmm So I guess master to correct. You could please correct me. These almost seem to be kind of artificial systems that are put in place to make it difficult to sin or harder to sin or who are by insurance in a way against sin by engaging in one or the other of these systems. Yeah. There are, a lot of things are like that, yes, yes, artificial systems that are put in place to prevent you from, uh, to prevent you from sin, to keep you away from sin, yeah, the uh, offenses, you might call them, I think uh, that's how, maybe it's not just him, but Jerry Bridges refers to them as, you know, it's not the, me- it's not the actual uh, rejection of sin, it is the tool that's in place to keep you far enough away from sin, which can very easily become pharisaical. It can be a legalistic form where these become the substance of your religion rather than uh, actually just being the methodology to do this. Now, I want to talk about that toward the end as well because there are, uh, there are personal ways that we apply Scripture with wisdom where we say, I can't, I can't watch that and not be tempted to sin. You know, I can't go to this place and not get myself in trouble. Uh, I am a, you know, somebody might, well, I'm a, I'm a former drunk and alcohol just makes me, like, I just can't handle it. I cannot drink it. I can't get into this without becoming drunk. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just stay away from it overall. Um, so that, that would be, you know, a, a kind of a judgment call to say this. I'm protecting myself from this because I know that this is a weakness that I just don't even want to go there. But yeah, I think there are a lot of these things can very much be this. Now, as we get more into this, they won't all be uh, like that. Just you know, kind of fences or things to prevent you from sinning. But a lot of them are, and a lot of them are other people's methods for preventing you from sinning as well. So there they might be things you come up with, but they also might be things that have been passed down to you as traditions, and they turn into this is what you have to do uh, in order to be godly. And part of the problem is that you know, in a lot of um, Christian culture, church cultures, whether it's individual church or denomination or schools or different things, these become the standards. Like you have to do this this way or you have to not do this this other way or else you are in sin. So there's a lot of pressure that comes from that. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more uh, as we get later in here as well. Um, Okay, so number three or letter C, association with former sin or with your former life. So association with former sin... Or with your former life. We've talked quite a bit about you know, alcohol. I just mentioned that. You used to be a drunkard. And you have a hard time just disassociating alcohol from godlessness. Like the two things you, you cannot. There, there is no godly sphere in which this can be consumed. And so you, you then go on and you say, well, I had so much trouble with it. And everybody that I knew, you know, I had so many family members that, you know, that got diseases and they ruined their lives because of this and all kinds of um, immoral things happened because of it. And you're just like, why why would anybody get involved in this? I just don't understand why anybody would get involved in this at all, because I've seen the damage of that. This is, I think, a fairly common attitude where you can't see how someone else can do something or why they would do something. Uh, I think you need to make sure that that question is not rhetorical, meaning you're not just saying, how could anyone do this? But you actually are asking, well, how could someone do this? And you're sincerely interested in listening to the answer because there might be one. There might be an acceptable way for someone to do the thing that your conscience is hung up on that you can't see how it's not connected with all of this, but it actually might be. Um, an example of this might be uh, music and entertainment from your former life. You see secular music or songs or entertainment as inextricably tied to a life that is unconcerned with pleasing God. Now, very often that is the case. Uh, you might even take it so far as saying that certain instruments or certain musical styles are unavoidably tied in with and polluted by uh, godless life. And you have to stop and say, okay, is this actually sin, the thing itself, or is this just very, very commonly used with that? Now, Again, there may be matters of wisdom involved in in pursuing that or maintaining those practices, knowing why people use them and what the connections are and all of that. That's a matter of wisdom, though, and not a matter of, of right and wrong. Um, the biblical connection would be what we looked at last week, where 1 Corinthians 8, this is just one example, 1 Corinthians 8, uh, verses 7 through 13, you have people who don't necessarily have this very clear and convinced knowledge that an idol is nothing. And so when they go to eat food sacrificed to, to, to an idol, 1 Corinthians 8, 7, their conscience being weak is defiled. There are some people who are able to eat food that has been sacrificed to an idol and they know an idol isn't real. It's just food. Those people may be sacrificing those things for that purpose. I'm just eating it because it's meat. I'm not worshiping the idol. I don't even think there is such a thing as an idol. I only worship the one true God. And Paul, he confirms this. He, he agrees with them in principle. But there are some for whom this is not the case and their conscience is weak and they participate in this practice of doing something where they haven't shaken all that out yet from their former life. And they, in fact, they may never in this life shake all of that out. And they can't do it with a clear conscience. And again, in this case, it is okay to abstain from those practices. Now, if someone who had this weak conscience and was unable to do that were to come to one of these people with a strong conscience and say, you can't do that. Well, Paul has some words for them. He says in uh, chapter 10 at the end, verse 28, if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's for why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? And what he is saying in this is that If it is truly not biblically forbidden, if it is truly permitted, and your conscience is not hung up on it in the same way as someone else who is still struggling with that, then you're free in a vacuum to go ahead and participate in that activity. Some people can't. That doesn't mean that they should be able to judge you for that. However, there are a lot of other considerations that we looked at last time, which is that your action uh, may tempt them. To follow you when their conscience is not prepared. You don't want to encourage them to do something that they are not ready for or that they have a problem with. Uh, And you want to be careful that you're prioritizing their conscience, even over your own personal freedoms and, and even over evangelistic witness that you might have, which is what the situation that was going on at the end of 1 Corinthians 10, where the unbeliever had invited you to take part in that and your fellow brother, had a uh, he had a hang-up with it. And Paul says you need, to, uh, you need to prioritize his conscience, and you need to be careful about that uh, before you think about really any other interpersonal consideration. So, uh, association with a former sin or with a former life. Anything else you can think of in this category or any questions about that? Yeah, Andrew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. So, yeah, Acts 16, the uh, the letter from the Jerusalem Council. So, they, they made it very clear that Gentiles who become Christians don't have to follow the law of Moses. That was the debate. Um some people were saying you have to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses and they go down Paul and Barnabas go down to Jerusalem they have this uh, all the elders consider this uh, in the church in Jerusalem and then James himself um, says in verse 19 therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles but that we write to them that they abstain from things sac- uh, contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. Uh, for Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Um, yeah, he is saying, now some of these things like fornication, for example, is just sin in general. But the rest of these are things that would be um, matters of, Yeah, they would be matters that would be offensive to the Jews around them, that surrounded them. And because this was, it's almost like, instead of just taking this on the individual level, he's taking it on a corporate level of the church and just saying, look, overall, like, these Gentile churches, we we are not telling them that it is wrong to not keep the law. We're not telling them they have to do these law prescriptions. But we are saying, look, everywhere you go, there's going to be Jews that have a hard time listening to the gospel message because... You guys are doing these things, and you can get into your explanations, and you can try to explain the nuances of how you're free from the law, and you're not under the law, and how the, all this. But at the end of the day, this is going to be this is going to cause a great difficulty in the gospel going forth. So I think that's what he's doing there. He's just saying, at this time, here's the circumstances. You are in a place where there's a there's a uh, um, you know there's a synagogue everywhere you go, even in all these Gentile cities, and. Let's just avoid this hindering. Uh, this is such a big issue that I'm going to tell you, like, this is the instruction that you should follow at this time and place. Just stay away from these things. So uh, I, I know there's probably more subtle details to that. Um, how long did they actually have to keep this up for? You know, would the circumstances change um, over the course of time? Um I'm not sure, but I think the, the general principle that he's functioning with here is, look, stay away from these things because we all, we just know what's going to happen if you do this. I don't know if there's any parallels to things today where, you know, we, if we did them as a church or didn't do them as a church, they would just be very, very uh, evangelistically repulsive to people around us. Maybe you guys can think of something, but um, there, there may be a parallel that comes up in various places from time to time. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and so these were the things where they, I don't think that they necessarily should think in their conscience that they're doing something wrong if they do this. Yeah, yeah, because, uh, and not so much just directly for the conscience of the Jews around them, but more for the, um, well, the Jews' conscience around them would have been hemmed in by these things. And uh, understandably so, because they're trying to follow the law, right? They're getting this from Moses. But it would really just be, this is just such a difference from what they are commanded to do in the law. They're going to say, how is this from God if this is in this way? And you're just, so what what you're doing is, instead of coming to them through the avenue of the gospel itself, what you're doing is you're coming to them with something that is in direct contrast to their practice on other levels. So, and I do think there's some points of wisdom to be gained from that as well, which is a lot of times, it can be easy for us in in our day to focus on those other ways where we disagree with people. Like people have, uh, they have all these things that they're used to doing um, and we might address those peripheral issues. I mean, matters that, things that matter because they're biblical As a, but we do that instead of coming to them with, hey, I'm going to address you about the gospel of Christ and your sin in general and, and we kind of, we try to uh, attack uh, on the on the fortified ground, if you will, instead of going for the actual okay, we are preaching the gospel to you, and we're telling you about Christ, and then and once you believe that, then the rest of that stuff is gonna be it's gonna make a lot more sense. Uh, I think we can easily focus on criticizing people in the realm of behavioral change or whatever, and we're just taking them on at their strongest point, as opposed to coming at it the way that we think about it, which is it all starts with the authority of the scriptures and with the gospel of Christ within that, and then we do everything that He commands. I think this is the case when we address cultural sins. A lot of times, we go at it from, you know, we're going to uh, we're going to go after this kind of, you know, this kind of gender issue. We're going to go after this kind of uh, immorality issue, and we just address the behavior itself as kind of the primary thing. And then that's that's just so different than what they're thinking that it's hard to get to the main issue at that point. So I think. I think there's something going on there to that effect as well. But they are trying to just avoid not because it's wrong. These Gentiles should not get this letter and think it is intrinsically sin for me to do this ever. Again, some fornication would be an obvious example of that. But just as a category of why they're doing this, it has to do with this is just the wisest way that Gentile churches in this formative age, uh, when, the, when there are synagogues everywhere, should, uh, should comport themselves you know, around, around the, uh, these unbelieving Jews. Yeah, good. Good. Okay, other questions? Okay, Uh, let's go next to association, letter D, association with the world, sinful people, and or false religions. Association with the world, sinful people, and or false religions. Um, One of these examples that may be most prominent is uh, like secular practices and secular holidays, Um, particularly, you know, what would probably be the most um, conscience-troubling holiday that we celebrate in our culture? What's that? Halloween? Yeah, I think Halloween is going to be the most uh, controversial and or people having conscience hang-ups with that. Uh, what's the issue? Well I mean in its origins and even in some of the you know some of the the symbols or things like that there's a lot of stuff that's connected with like witchcraft, false religions um, you know not to mention that it's connected with which is a whole other issue with uh, Roman Catholicism um, in terms of the practice of uh, you know being the evening of All Saints Day I have just as much of a problem with that I suppose as with uh, anything that might be connected with Halloween itself, but that's another matter. Um, And this is, of course, the case with a lot of literature, a lot of movies, where there are things like this, um, practices that have to do with the occult or with false religion or, uh, yeah, witchcraft, that kind of thing. Um, What are the principles involved? What are the principles involved? Well, let me just give you a few thoughts on why people may differ on this particular issue. One of these is that... um, People um, may not be, when they participate in something, they may or may not be uh, wholesale endorsing everything that has to do with that practice currently and in particular in its origin. A lot of times things that are matters of conscience have to do with, well, this originated in this. This has this background. This is where this came from. And, of course, in the present day, things can come to mean something quite different than what they originally meant. Uh, we understand this going in the opposite direction from a secular perspective. Um, what kind of holiday is Christmas? Well, I mean, Christmas, it's kind of gone all over the place. It, it really, it was uh, just placed on the, uh, the you know pagan holidays that had to do with the, the winter solstice and You know, uh, making sure that you are um, going to be uh, fertile for the year to come and the ground is going to produce and things like that. And hey, let's put Christmas right there, and now we're going to celebrate Christ's Mass at this time of year. Um, Not to mention the fact that the word Christmas really is just a combination of those two things, is it not? Christ's Mass? Anyone have a problem with the Roman Catholic Mass? I would hope so, which... um, says that it's re-sacrificing Christ functionally um, every time you do it. So you have a problem there where even just, you know, uh, I don't like the word mass being connected with Christ. So even if you could get rid of everything that had to do with all the cultural practices of that, you know, do I say, well, I don't want to celebrate Christmas because it has that part of that in there. Uh, I think you could even make the case for that if uh, you're holding to the same standard. But Christmas, largely in our culture, has come to be something that people celebrate whether or not they're Christians at all. And what is it about? For most people, Christmas is about family and lights and the same 12 Christmas songs over and over again. And Christmas trees and presents and more, you know, getting together with people it's, that's what it's about. Like they, yeah, there's the little baby and there's the Jesus story and there's all of that. For many people, and even for Christians functionally a lot of times, it is just kind of about the cultural things. Now we might bemoan that and say, you know, I wish more people were concerned about Jesus at this time. But the reality is people who are not Christians in the world look at Christmas and they're like, we're celebrating Christmas, but we don't believe all of that. And we don't say, no, yes, you do. You're celebrating Jesus when you do this. We're telling them, no, you need to think more about him. Well, then you come to something like Halloween, for example, and you say, well, people today don't necessarily look at this. It's just like Christmas, but from the other direction. It has almost, it's become more secularized in many people's minds to where, what's the association? It's about going around the neighborhood and getting candy in superhero costumes, now, I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't do this. I'm just saying you have to consider a lot of factors as to why people uh, are not thinking of this as something that's just worship of other gods or of occult practices. Um, now, with that said, you still don't have to do it. And you might look at that and say, you know, I just don't want anything to do with a holiday that's, or anything else that's celebrating witches And that would be perfectly understandable. You just say, I don't enjoy that. I don't want to do this. I want nothing to do with it. And I don't like it. I just don't like it. I don't want to do it. And that is perfectly fine. You say, this is just too close to that stuff. I just, I I would rather, you know, I would rather go somewhere with my family. I would rather um, read the Bible. You know, I'd rather read about something that's uh, Christian. I would rather celebrate something distinctly Christian. Perfectly acceptable. Perfectly good. And uh, that's something that You have to determine on your own. But it's just good to consider how just one example, like how things that can kind of have connections or even roots in um, the world, sinful people, false religions, they, they are not always just as cut and dried as, well, this had its origins here or this has its connections here. Therefore, anyone who does anything that is part of that practice at all is violating Scripture. It's just a little bit more complicated than that. Um, so that's just, that's really primarily about um, association with false religions, uh, but other things that might be association with the world or sinful people, any examples of that you can think of? What would be some other things like that? hmm Yoga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yoga is a great example because how many, I mean, there are, there are wrong ways of thinking that are associated with that, wrong things involved in this. I mean, entire, there are people that do this as, as part of an entire philosophy and approach to spirituality and to life. Um, other people say, man, that's a really good exercise that I can't get any other way. But some might say, and I, I would argue against this, they would say by doing that particular yoga pose, you yourself are open, you're opening yourself up to, you know, some type of spiritual influence. Some type of maybe even demonic influence because this is done as part of this religion and that's where it came from. Well, they may have just accidentally stumbled upon something um, and you know, you can use this as just a strength or flexibility or something like that exercise. You should be aware of the connections, you should be aware of the potential dangers and saying, Well, I'm gonna go all in on this. And oh, you know, actually, there might be something to this. Uh, mentality behind this. There might be something to the full-blown all-in approach to this, and I should be careful because if I try to maximize this in the way that some people do who aren't concerned for Christ and the Bible, then I might get drawn into that. So it's good to be aware of the danger and the potential connections and where people take those things. That's good with uh, almost any practice. I mean, not just Something that's explicitly connected with a spiritual or religious kind of component, but really anything where people start to do something and then they go all in, and they have a hard time not making that what they worship rather than rather than Christ. Yeah, good. Anything else? What about false, churches? false churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's going to be, there's going to be so much case by case wisdom you have to exercise in that, I think. Um, You're going to be interacting with people in the world. First Corinthians five says there's no way to avoid that. Uh, You have to go out of the world. So you can't do that. It's not a command to go out of the world, by the way. Uh, So you're going to have that problem. I mean, Philippians 2 says that we shine as lights in the world. Um, Faithful Christian testimony, exercising wisdom as to um, when you say what, uh, understanding certain, um, you know, understanding what's in your power and your sphere of influence to do something about. um, As far as when you say something, um, when you don't, what you say, how much authority do you have to actually make a, a change or make something go on. For example, if you had somebody that was just blatantly sinning within our church, You'd have a lot more ability to do something about that than somebody that's in a church that just calls itself a church but has no concern for scripture's authority so you're going to have things like that um, association in and of itself also is a very broad term right i mean you're running into people you're a co-worker with this person you ride to work with them you you know you kind of uh they're at your bowling alley that you go to and you make conversation with them i don't know how anybody go to a bowling alley um you, you do you do things with them, that's going to be different as well. But it can be, where, yeah, it can, it can be easy to just think that there is some kind of like, I, okay, I'm connected with this in some way. I'm doing an activity that's involved with this. I think more association, though, would be not so much like uh, personal relationship association. What I'm referring to here is more about just there's a, there is a mental or conceptual association of the practice with something sinful or that this is what worldly people do. This is what sinful people do. So something like uh, being involved in, like, like professional sports, where there can be um, so much idolatry of that. People can worship that. They spend all their time doing it, and that's what they're worried about. Uh, and you say, I just, you know, this is what people in the world live for. Our culture lives for sports, and in many cases they do. I just, I can't be associated with that because that's what they're all about. And so I can't be involved in that at all. That would be the kind of thing that I'm more referring to here. Holistic and Eastern medicine, you said? That can lead to New Ageism? Yeah, I'm not very familiar with all the, you know, particular medicines within that sphere. I think if it is just the substance itself, then you take it as just that. Everything created by God is good. Nothing's to be rejected if it's received with gratitude, for it's sanctified by means of the Word of God and prayer. 1 Timothy 4. So you have that as the foundational thing, but then you recognize, yes, how this can pull you in. And again, that's there's so many things like that. Um, just like the yoga thing where yes if you have to be very wise and discerning and careful about how much am i going to get involved you have to know your own um, weakness and influence ability because when you go to learn things from particular people who are espousing those practices or espousing those substances uh, then you're going to run into okay am i going to be able to say no and to stand up and am i going to be able to draw a line at a certain point that says like i'm not doing this i may take this particular, you know, supplement or pill, I don't, I don't know, but I'm not going to go to this doctor, or I'm not going to go to this, uh, to this group meeting, or, you know, you have to know where to do that, and you have to be able to stand up and have the conviction to do that at that moment. So if you're easily swayable in those things, you, got, you need to know this. You need to be careful, and uh, this is a place where I do think it's wise for us as the body of Christ to be able to tell other people you know, I'm not saying that what you're doing is wrong at this moment, but I'm worried it could lead somewhere. And we need to be receptive as believers to not just make our impulse be, well, you shouldn't be concerned about that because it's a freedom I have in Christ. Well, there's more to it than just having that freedom in Christ because you also might freely drift into the whole, the whole sphere of getting into trouble with those things as they become what really matters to you and as you become... Um, As you start to buy into a lot of the philosophy that's often connected with that. Um, I I would say that applies in that situation and and anything else that's similar. Let me give you uh, three more here. No, I'm not going to be able to give you three more. These are going to have to spill over. Uh, Yeah, probably should not start another one at this point. I really want to, but... I really just should not. Uh, Maybe one more minute for any questions or anything else that you have on what we've covered so far. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes things are just like, you don't want to be seen there. It, it can look like you're a participant in this. So that's, that's a consideration. I mean, there's, Look, you can say, I'm not doing anything. I'm just here. You can say that one. Are you going to enjoy being there? You know, you might not even enjoy it. It just, you're the only person that's even sober at the whole thing. Uh, you don't like the attitude of what's going on. You can't talk to anybody because you know, they're not really fully, conscience of uh, conscious of what's happening um, this might cause some reputational issues you know with other people that you uh, that you care about and so you say this is not worth it to go there um, yeah do you have that particular matter there may be times where you can participate in something like that and do so with integrity and everybody knows you know that okay this is not my thing I'm here I'm not approving of this I'm, I'm here and I'm not really saying anything one way or another about this I'm just uh, I'm doing what I'm doing, and this doesn't necessarily make me look one way or another. Tough decisions, aren't they? Tough decisions to know, but there are, there are things where, there are things that are like that, yeah. Okay, well, as much as I would love to keep going, uh, we'll have to finish the rest of these next time and hopefully give you a few uh, matters of wisdom, tell you whether or not you should buy that house, go to that school, marry that person or how to think about that at least. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you that you uh, have given us a conscience. Thank you that our conscience in Christ is cleansed so that we can draw near to you with with confidence. And we pray that you give us wisdom in navigating these matters. We pray that we would always protect our conscience and that we would be able to align it as closely as possible with the word of God uh, while never going against it always doing what you have told us to do we pray that you would help us to have uh, an attitude of love for other people and of worship of you that that uh, drives the way that we make these decisions we pray that we'd have wisdom to see other situations that we're in and to uh, understand if they fall under these categories or if they're in these uh, connected with these biblical principles so that we can know how we ought to think about them we pray that we would be Free from judgment or looking with contempt, but full of wisdom and full of love for you and for each other. We pray that you'd help us to walk very faithfully and wisely in all of these things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.